1: Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line right here on Sports Grid, our number two. I'm Dane Martinez, and, of course, with me every weekday morning is my man Kevin Walsh. And, Kev, we're going through these NBA games. If you haven't heard us talk about what happened last night or talk about Brooklyn, Toronto, or Utah, Denver, be sure to check out our number one here of the early line. But as we chug ahead, Kev, the next game I want to talk about here in the NBA is Philly and Boston. Okay, and this is going to be interesting, okay, because Gordon Hayward is out. We know this. He has the ankle sprain. Unfortunately, he is going to miss, they're saying, the next three to four weeks, right? So that's going to be a big blow. I personally believe Marcus Smart will be inserted into the starting lineup, but could it be this Williams guy, Kev, because we know Philly is going big, and the question for Boston has always been would they have the big-time bodies to kind of D that up. How do you think Boston responds with the Gordon Hayward injury? I could see them putting in smart, or I can see them using this as an opportunity, maybe to add a little bit of beef into their front court. How do you think they play it? Look, so they're going to
2: have to kind of keep some of these guys rotating anyway, between Tice, uh, Cantor, uh, Bob Williams to try and, you know, take your chances at Embiid. So, they're never, mm-hmm. you know, ideally, you know, going five small would probably only be to try and close games. And, and I don't even know if that was really much of an option for them, but we got to look at this team. Man, they are thin. And I, you know, I was they having are. a conversation, um, when our guy Martino obviously follows this Celtics team very close. Yeah. I'm like, man, like, I don't know why it's really hitting me. Just how thin this team is. He goes, why don't you listen to me? All right. Yeah. You were about to get into a whole different argument now, <laughs> um, but like, You know, you look at it from this team, Jalen Brown, 39 minutes, Kemba 35, Tatum, you know, 41, Marcus Smart, 32. And that now, right, is with Gordon Hayward giving them 34 minutes. So Tice now has to go up probably to, you know, somewhere in the 30 range, Brad Wanamaker, Grant Williams. These guys are going to have to find themselves (laughs) playing more minutes. Like, that, and that's kind of the thing. When I saw the Gordon Hayward news broke, I felt like a lot of people started to say, man, what a what a win this is for the Raptors. The Raptors, uh, you know, Boston's really going to struggle to get past them. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got to Hold on Philly? a second. Where, <laughs> where, where did Philly go? I didn't see that this series had ended. Because I did not come away again from game number one yeah. saying, oh, yeah, Philly's got no chance. Oh, that was Philly's best punch. And it was far from Philly's best punch here. So... You know, Dan, I've contemplated, how do I want to play this? Do I want to jump in on a series line? Do I want to jump, you know, what do I want to do here? Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm right. going to complicate it. I think I'm going to look to back Philly on the money line to win this
1: game. Okay, fair enough. And remember, there is that zigzag theory we talk about. This game was kind of nip and tuck. And then, obviously, the loss of Gordon Hayward does matter the boston celtics are four and a half point favorites in this one on the money line as you're referencing the c's are minus 188 with our partners and friends at FanDuel. the Sixers come back at plus 158 the total in this game is 215 i want to play a mini game with you kev you know i like playing games um so i don't know if you've looked at it and have cheated already but my question for you is very simple We all know what Philly, it comes down to Joel Embiid. And we've been talking about like how he Mm -hmm. needs to Mm -hmm. dominate. Will he be shooting from the outside, blah, blah, blah. All of that good stuff as it relates to Embiid as we welcome in our radio audience from around the country, including out there on the West Coast with the mightier 1090. What's going on here? Get on the grid. Here's the game, Kev. What number would it have to be for Embiid points and rebounds prop for you to go under it today, because he's got to dominate, right? That's what everybody's saying. He's saying he's got to be more dominant. He's got to be the best player. He knows this. He's saying it himself, right? And he does. And I believe that is the path to a Sixers win. Some kind of ridiculously dominant performance from Joel Embiid. Nothing is out of the realm of possibility here for me. Thirty and twenty is not out of the realm of possibility here for me for Embiid in Game Two. So that being said, you would take the over on points and rebounds for Embiid unless it was above blank.
2: Uh, so I've not looked ahead. I don't know what the the actual number is, although if I remember his game one numbers were twenty-nine and a half and twelve and a half, I think, were his game nine numbers right. Right. So I think that's a line. Go ahead. I think that means it'd be at thirty-two and a half. Again, I've not I've not looked at it here, but I think that means it'd be at thirty-two and a half. Now, have they have they bumped it up here? Possibly. Uh, what's interesting to me, Dane, is he had sixteen rebounds last game. Now, Gordon Hayward yeah. averaged six point seven rebounds. That's a good rebounder. But does this injury force them now to have a big out there more often on the floor to where? Yeah, that's what I'm saying because will get the start almost, right? Like does his rebounding numbers potentially? Um, I don't want to say go down, but you know it much just have to be a steady level. I mean, sixteen rebounds is a really good rebounding game, and I don't know if I'm going to look to bring the boards into this one. I just think he has, but no choice to be more assertive. Uh, if that same mm-hmm. twenty-nine and a half number sits there, uh, I think that will probably be the direction that I look at and try and play that game over. Where would I play it under? I mean, look if they posted a thirty-five, it's just from a value perspective, you have to play it under.
1: Fair enough. His points total is 27 and a half for today. Oh, I was asking you about points plus rebounds. And that's an interesting number. Also 41 and a half for points plus rebounds. Could you see 26 and 15 or 26 and 16? I could. And here's the thing for Philly to win. I think Embiid is going to have to be the most dominant player on the court. We'll see if he can. We'll talk about it more when we come back right here on the early line.
0: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
1: Welcome back in, everybody, right here on The Early Line, giving you the edge on Sports Grid. Kev, I want to move on to the next game, but we have to talk about something. Your, uh, your middle school math, brother man. What was the Embiid? The Embiid props? And, and, and Crossed it, it,
0: dude.
1: You heard <laughs> me, man. All right, Thank all right, you, fair enough. Over so over plus uh, rebounds prop, just well, so you know, for Joel Embiid, it's 41 and a half, Kev. Do you yeah. like that? And do you like that points prop in the high 20s? I mean, yeah, I, I like
2: the points prop. I, I, I don't know if I'll what really want to mess around with the rebounds. Maybe I will. Okay. Uh, well, look, that's on you. You got to, you know, we've been doing Me? this for a while now. You got oh, to know what do you think it's going to be. Yes, you should be able to okay. assume off of our experience I, I, okay. that I'm going to mess up the gotcha. that
1: problem. Okay, fair enough. Remember you said that, okay? Because the next time when I do assume it, you're going to be like, what do you mean? Why are you not giving me credit? But okay, no problem, absolutely. Just don't make me do math in the middle of the show. That's how you <laughs> All want. right, All right, that's, that is one way to do it if you want to guarantee it's like abstinence, right? There's no way of having it be safe. You just got to avoid it altogether. Well, here's what I want to know for the last game that's coming up on the slate. Will they avoid the technical fouls altogether? Kev, because there was a lot of blowback about the SAWFT soft technicals on Kristaps Porzingis in game one. And listen, it was a different team after KP was gone, right? I know about Dallas in crunch time and how they can't get the job done in close games and close spots. All those statistics Mm -hmm. are out there. But honestly, Kev, this, as you say, is the most efficient offense in NBA history. They were winning at halftime of game one. I believe they had the Clippers legitimately on the ropes. Mm. And then KP gets ejected. And it was a completely different team, a completely different offense. I'm not saying Dallas would have grabbed game one, but it certainly would have been a different question. Yeah, I mean, look, they had their lowest scoring quarter
2: of the season in the quarter they tossed KP out of the game. (laughs) To say it changed the game would be a massive understatement. And even if you believe that the Clippers were still going to win this game, which they very well might have, and I believe were favored to still at the time, you know, you're really, like, it's pretty disingenuous to act as if, though, the ejection of Chris Stapps Porzingis did not change how uh, that game was played from that point moving forward. I am, though, most interested in trying to figure out what we want to do with this total. Because as far as the side okay. goes, I think there's strong arguments to be made on both sides. Again, you know, in a lot of ways this was even, but now you expect Chris Stavs, Porzingis, to not be tossed out. But as far as this right. total goes, I mean, we got 228 while having a quarter that only saw 34 points. This number has gone down a point from where hmm. it was heading into game number 1 I, I am i am a little bit torn here because there is an argument to be made that luka doncic's uh, efficiency should go down but the turnovers should as well go down yeah yeah like fair, a 11. Though. yeah and 11, but that creates more transition opportunities for the clips Sure. so those are easy buckets i just you have to think right With these two teams, neither one of them shot thirty five percent. I am cheating there a little bit. Thirty four point nine for
1: no math. No math. We can round to thirty five. It's okay. True. (laughs) True. True.
2: But that's you know that's kind of I think a spot where you could expect better offensive performances from both these teams. Not that they had bad offensive performances. Right. right. It, you know, both teams almost had 70 at the half, but I think more consistent, uh, a more consistent offensive flow is possible. So I might look to play this game over um, and then maybe figure out the side in game.
1: Yeah. You know, I want to ask you about KP, Kev, right? Because, you yeah. know, there's narratives here at play. I remember when we yeah. were talking about the Lakers in hour number one, right? Yeah. You were like, hey, you know, if we keep seeing this, then maybe there is just something to that they can't handle the bubble right? Or adjust to the bubble. Mm -hmm. There's also been people who have been dramatically better in the bubble. And I would say Mm -hmm. Christos Porzingis is near the top of that list on another show. We talked about the all bubble team and I had KP on it because he averaged 10 more points a game in the bubble than not in the bubble, right? So which one is it? Because they got to set a prop bet somewhere, right? So I guess the question for you, Kev, is how much are they considering, right? The, the production but previous to the pandemic, previous to the bubble, KP averaged 20 yeah. points before the bubble, 30 to 31 points in the bubble, right? A different KP, and we've talked about this. And then also, you know, he's got that output in game one from not having a full game. I don't know how that messes with the computer algorithm of his out points when you see a dud kind of in the game log. His point mm-hmm. today, Kev, is 24 and a half. I think we could see a uh, focus, you know, chip on the shoulder KP that gets over that number. Yeah, you
2: know, it's funny. You you kind of talk about these comparisons between bubble and not bubble. And, you know, you can take out everything other than just the meetings with him and the Clippers. Pre-bubble, played him twice. Uh, He didn't score uh, over 20 in either game. Played him in the bubble, gave him a 30-piece. Uh, you know, and funny enough, I had contemplated trying to go under with his number and I didn't. And now, you know, it would have been a cheap win, because he obviously gets tossed at 14. But was he on his way to go over? And I think that's a very, very good question there that you ask. Was he on his way over? Was he not? I think it's hard to tell. 14 points in 20 minutes. They could have had a big fourth quarter. Like, that's very, very difficult. I will say this though. I would feel much more comfortable holding that over ticket than the under ticket.
1: Yeah, I, I think that is fair to say, right? And you know, you're talking about this. Which version of KP? And I think we're starting to get certain questions to come into focus, right? When, at what point do we believe that what we are seeing in the bubble is real, right? Like, when do we believe our own eyes, Kev, whether it leads to something like the Lakers shooting or whether it relates to some of these other guys? You know, like a Michael Porter Jr., a T.J. Warren, a Christoph Porzingis, you know. What is real? Do we believe that they're eventually going to perform to the back of the basketball card? Or is this so much of a different context, right, that this is now the control group and we have to go with what we are seeing here? I think it is very, very interesting. One other thing of note here for the clips. I want to honestly ask you, will they be back at full strength with Mantras Harrell back you know I know he's kind of like reporting back I don't know his status with the quarantine you also have Schmidt who was kind of back but I don't know if he's going to be more in the flow right one of the benefits I believe of this Clippers team is their depth will they have it all back okay.
2: yeah I mean these guys are supposed to be playing but how effective they are Schmet eight minutes no points minus 19 right Harold 15 minutes six points a minus seven So, you know, that's obviously going to be the big question. Patrick Beverly was good in in his 20 minutes uh, of work. I'll mention this as well, just while we're talking props quickly. Kawhi scoring 29 while only being one of seven from deep is noteworthy. Uh, Now, his prop was, I believe, 29 and a half in game number one. So that's obviously Uh, gut-wrenching. If you did play that over, maybe it was 28 and a half, though, and you'd be satisfied. But potentially looking at, at these Kawhi Leonard props, so I'll double-check what they've got that uh, listed at over there at the FanDuel Sportsbook. Kawhi is 29.5 again. juice to the over, uh, but I think with fair reason. Another market that I know you like to play and Gabe like to play, maybe just take over two-and-a-half threes for Kawhi Leonard and hope that regression uh, can hit you in game number two.
1: That is interesting. Another prop that I look at is the triple-double machine that is Luka Doncic. If you think there is an occurrence of that today, you get it at plus 260, which is a better number, Kev, than what I believe it was for game one. I believe it was at like 235, 240 for game one. And you're getting a little bit more value. Luke Doncic plus 260 in this game. I'm not sure if it's necessarily because of the ankle or any other reason but you know that is an interesting play right there those are the games we're going to see in the nba as the playoffs move on or in the playoffs in other sports and we bring in our guy the raging redhead cam stewart to talk about that when we come back the nhl playoffs are in full swing and i guess depending on how you look at it we've entered the playoffs in golf as well, the FedEx championship points are on and popping. We'll talk about what that means as a tournament. We'll tee off tomorrow, the Northern Trust. So we bring in Cam to give us all the liens we need. That's what we do, give you the edge on Grid, and we'll do that right after the news break Welcome back in, everybody. We thank you, of course, for all the news and notes catching up here on The Grid. We also welcome back our radio audience, including the mightier 1090 down there in Southern California. Thanks for waking up very early with us here on the early line. We've been talking about all these sports going into their playoffs, but we would maybe remiss if we didn't spend a couple of minutes talking about the frozen rubber as well. And so we bring in our guy cam Stewart, like we do on Wednesdays. Thanks for waking up early with
3: us, cam. How you feeling? I'm doing pretty good, guys. Uh, I got to tell you, the Islanders cost me a nice little uh, late parlay there. I decided to add them and went against. uh, You know, I I was thinking sweep, just the way they've dominated. But these are really hard games to distinguish. What's the motivation when you're down three to nothing? I I will say this about hockey players: these guys don't tap out. That's the thing. Sometimes, you know, in the NBA, you're down three nothing. It's like let's just get the hell out of here. These guys really showed pride. Like the, the Capitals were down two to nothing early in that game they could have packed it in but they came back they grinded and i got to give them a lot of credit guys just looking at the hockey board today too very difficult mm-hmm. to predict like the way philadelphia beat montreal just just absolutely like suffocating them Breaking their will. Carter Hart, back-to-back shutouts. Like, are the Canadians gonna suck it up? Are they are, are they gonna show up today? Or is Philadelphia just gonna put the squeeze, the final squeeze on these guys? Tampa Bay, Columbus, the same thing. Columbus yeah. looked like they had the edge in play. Tampa Bay's getting it done. I'll tell you one thing: probably Colorado's the best bet on the board, but they're also the chalkiest bet on the board, right? They absolutely demolished the desert dogs in the last game, but it's a very, very tough board, guys. And there's five games today, too. So it's gonna be absolutely wild. A lot of elimination games but yeah I'm probably going to be doing a lot of uh, like our boy Gamblu says parlay playing pukes I don't want to be that guy but it's hard (laughs) to lay the juice and I try to put uh, turn minuses into pluses guys but it is a very very difficult uh, day on ice tread lightly
1: yeah, absolutely. With these five games, you gotta hope none of them go five overtimes to upset the apple <laughs> yeah. part. I do, you know, Cam. I love you, but I gotta push back on something you said when you said hockey pay- players don't quit. I submit to you the curious case of Jucaresk, right? So, like, did he in <laughs> yes. fact quit? You know, well, when like, you wait. say they don't tap out, there's a lot of people who are saying that's exactly what he did. And I thought about. It. I was talking with Gabe on In Game Live when this happens. So, you know, the way he was responding Mm -hmm. to this. Right. And I was telling him, listen, when I talked to you about him, like self-reporting the sniffles right on that app, I was like, I'm wondering if his heart is really in it all the way from then. But here's what I want to ask you. Okay. Cause the Bruins are up three, one, they're probably still going to get this done. They are favored to close out Carolina today. And we know Halak is a legitimate goaltender, Okay. I know that, Mm -hmm. but, With, you know, in other sports, let's say, right, that I'm more familiar with. When you have a platoon player that's forced into everyday duty or you have a backup in football, you know, they rally around him for a little while. But then over time, they get exposed a little bit. Are the Bruins in danger with that with Halak or is he someone that can hold up even as the Bruins progress into the next round, which it looks like they may be able to do today?
3: Yeah, here's the thing on Rask, Um, you know, I didn't like his attitude from the get go. This is the best thing that happened to the Boston Bruins. Euro Halak is a great goaltender. He is not, he is not a 1B. He's a starting goaltender. They basically had two starting goaltenders in Boston. And you know what? They're going to rally behind this guy. Did you guys see the third period of that mm-hmm. game? I was on Carol. I was on Carolina. These guys are cruising with a two to nothing lead, feeling good about themselves. Boston scores a, a hardworking first goal, and they demolish Carolina. I will say this: in the third period, that was the best period of hockey I've ever seen by a team pre-COVID, during COVID bubble. What the Bruins did, the way they played in speed and passion, they destroyed Carolina. I think they actually ripped their heart out and took their will. Halak, the best thing that happened to Boston, Dane. I'm telling you, Kev. This guy wants to be there. Tuka Rask was already right. halfway out. Oh, I, I want to go see my family, whatever. Then go see your family. That's fine. Other guys have families, other guys have kids. You want to leave? Go leave. We have a guy right now who wants to play, and they're not afraid. I don't think there's going to be any drop off in talent. To be honest with you, I think Tuka Rask lets in more soft goals. The only thing that Halak did, he made one mistake playing the puck, and it cost him on a play. And after that, he stood on his head. And his player, I heard even the guy say, he's like, listen, man, we got you. Don't worry about it. That was one bad mistake. Right. We're, we're in this. They're, they're going to rally around him, man. And I'll tell you, Boston is a scary-looking team right now. These guys just don't go away. I was wrong about this series. I thought Carolina, younger, they looked like they were faster, but they're just getting outworked. Boston is a professional hockey team, right, Kev? The way we talk about the Oakland mm-hmm. A's when we're doing that stuff, that's hmm. what Boston does. They show up, they beat you down, they work harder than you, and they have veterans. They don't care what they've done. They want more, more, more. You know, that's uh, that's the thing. Carolina's got a lot of work to do if they want to be in Boston's league.
2: Yeah, you, you got to give the Bruins credit. I want to ask you uh, about uh, Flyers-Canadians from a couple of angles mm-hmm. here, but the main one that just stands out to me, and it's just it's so unique that hockey has decided to go this route with back-to-back playoff games. The NBA would mm-hmm. never consider mm-hmm. that. Oh, like, in no, fact, they're, no, they're, they're,
1: no, no, You know no. what
2: I mean? Like, the NBA, they're like, oh, wow, <laughs> no. only one day <laughs> off? Like, interesting. And, and here in hockey, they're like, eh, hey, double them up, who cares? How have you found teams performing on these second legs of back-to-back, and is there anything you can take from that into this game?
3: Excellent question there, Kev. I would say this. Play on the defensive side mental game is sloppier. So that will lead to chances, penalties, which would lead to more overs. That's what I would look at in these type of situations. Also, elimination games, some coaches go wild. They might pull the goalie when they're down two goals with six, seven minutes left in the game. Empty net or empty net. What do you care? You're gonna lose. You're, you're you're leaving the bubble, right? The party's over, so it doesn't matter if you lose seven to two or five to two. It it really doesn't matter. But I will say this: these guys are mentally strong. But hockey playoff hockey is based on systems and space. And when you're not all there mentally, when you're a little bit foggy or tired, what do you do? You make mistakes. You take penalties. You you do you do stupid things. You clear the puck over. You know what? I've noticed two in those back to backs delay a game penalties like a goalie hmm. you know flipping like instead of getting it off the boards a little bit lazy too high Thing goes in there it doesn't hit anybody 2 minutes delay a game power play the little mental lapses and breakdowns are hmm. something that i look uh, that i look at in these games it's really hard though guys like the i uh, like as i said with the capitals they could have tapped out but they won like what what do we get for montreal today are they, are they ready to rock and and to make this a right. you know a six game series there it's very very difficult Hey, Cam,
1: you know, I, w- I want to ask you something to try to get an edge here. That's what we do mm-hmm. on Sports Grid. Like in basketball, for example, I'm talking with Kevin, right? We saw the Lakers yep. and the Blazers, and-, and I'm asking him about the Lakers, and they're kind of poor shooting, right? And my question for Kevin in this situation is, like, is it the bubble? Is it real, or will it kind of regress back to the mean, the way we think about with the Lakers or these other teams? So I want to ask you in hockey, Cam, are there any teams that have been like, Overperforming in the bubble, you know, because I believe in it. I believe that what we're seeing in the bubble, I can, you know, trust in, I can put my money behind, right? And so, are there any teams like that, Cam, that are overperforming, doing well in the bubble, any trends you're seeing that maybe some people don't believe are sustainable? But if I believe that what I'm seeing in the bubble is real, I want to get and ride with who's playing
3: well in the bubble that may be overperforming their odds and generating some value. I would say earlier it was the Vancouver Canucks. They were a team that were really, really good uh, in the first couple games, but St. Louis is a—they're the defending Cup Stanley, they're the Stanley yeah. Cup champions, guys. They're not going away without a fight. But they did lose Tarasenko. He's got a repaired shoulder. He had to go back to St. Louis to take a look at that thing. Uh, he's going to be a big loss to them. Dane, don't quit on the, don't quit on the Islanders. They're going to beat the the Capitals okay. the next game. I was wrong there. The Capitals just showed up. The Islanders understand with Barry Trotz too. Remember his attitude? I love the bubble. I wish everything was the bubble. You know. Right. Like, that's the attitude that you have to have in the bubble. You can't think, oh, there's no fans. Teams, I would say, with a harder work ethic and less skill set would, would tend to thrive in the bubble a lot more. Actually, in Philadelphia, is another team that doesn't mind the bubble – because they're not flashing. Hmm. What do they do? They're right. a defensive team. They grind it you travels, to death. Right? Tampa, That's Bay what travels, is, right. Tampa Bay is a high-flying team. They know they'll make stupid okay. mistakes, but they'll score wicked goals. Like when you talk skill set, they're the best. But hmm. the Flyers just roll out four lines. They pound you to death like a snake. You know, basically they eat you. Right. They suffocate you. Yeah, know breaking your ribs. Though, right? I'm going to eat you. The That's what they've the- done at Montreal. Montreal is one of right. those teams. Like they're fast, like a water bug. And Philadelphia is like, okay, well, me and Gabe talked about it. Wow, Montreal, you're fast, but you're not doing anything. You're skating around. Right. We, we have our lanes. We, we're not scared of you. And the and thing is, the defensemen there can also pinch because they have Carter Hart back there. The Flyers M.O. for years. They've had horrible goaltending. These guys sucked. And now they have a reliable tender. When you're a defenseman, you just go, oh, thank you, my friend. Now I can pinch in here. Now I don't have to worry on a two-on-one. I can kind of slide down. Cut the angle. You got the other half of the net. I'm not going to panic. When you have a when you have a lousy goaltender, defensemen make a lot more mistakes. They You know what I mean? They don't trust their goaltender and they get out of position. So I would say the teams that is benefiting the Flyers right now, the Islanders, and uh, wow, what can you say? And the Canucks. I will come back mm-hmm. to the Canucks tonight against St. Louis. I think they understand what they need to do. Every game in the series has been close. They're getting a quarter on FanDuel. That's good enough for me. These are real tight games. And I understand that even though St. Louis won two straight, I think Vancouver comes out guns ablazing tonight. That's a dog that I would take.
2: Cam, okay, we got one more game on this slate that we haven't gotten to yet. And the Lightning are now game away from getting their redemption back. And I'm sure that, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the overtime period was worrying. Then they lose game number two here. But they've now rattled off two in a row. How do you feel about the Lightning against the Blue Jackets in the noon game?
3: I like the Lightning. I don't like the price. The thing about the Lightning is uh, they're a better team than Columbus. Columbus has been fantastic too. Very, very smart hockey team. Well coached, always in position, but skill is overriding uh, the work ethic of Columbus right now. And the thing about Tampa Bay is too, they have a good goaltender. I know Corpocello has been the story of the playoffs, but Vasilevsky is one of the best goaltenders. The guy's up for the Vesna. So I would say Hmm. this about Tampa Bay, though. Their defense, there's a couple guys back there that, you know, over a long series, like against Boston, I'd be very worried. Like Zach Bergosian, he's a nice guy. I've interviewed him before, but he's an older guy with a lot of injuries. I'm not sure he could keep up this level. Uh, Guys, I'm going to tell you, I think Tampa Bay will get it done. I worry about them moving forward, though. I think they should be able to take Hmm. care of business today. But against a team like Boston and Philadelphia, I I really worry about Tampa Bay. I'm going to say this. They're still overrated, in my opinion.
1: And there you go, Cam, because you're talking about these more blue-collar, right, just set in their ways, do their thing, as well as the flashy teams that may be a little soft on the back end defensively. When we come back, Mm -hmm. though, Cam, we're going to turn our attention to golf, the FedEx Championship. Those points are hot on that. We got to get your liens there. We'll do that when we come back Welcome back in everybody to the early line right here on SportsGrid, giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez. I got my main man, Kevin Walsh, and we continue to be joined by our guy, Cam Stewart. We were talking a little bit of pucks, but every Wednesday, Cam is, you know, nice enough to join the show as we talk about the PGA tournament on the horizon. And so, Cam, as we dive in here, I got to ask you first a big picture question. There are some Mm -hmm. weeks on the PGA schedule where we're like, oh, a major's coming up. These guys might be trying to fine tune their game instead of actually win the tournament for the week. I want to ask you because this tournament that starts also kicks off. I believe the FedEx like championship kind of, you know, elimination chamber, shall we say, right? Where they cut off and cut off. Um, Are there any differences? Might any of the golfers play it differently this week because maybe they know they're right beyond the cut line or they know they're safe. Might some players have to like, quote unquote, go for it when others could play more conservative? And if that's the case, could that factor into things like matchup bets that you make top 20 bets you make to make the cut and those other kind of ancillary bets that you like to make on a tournament? I'm just wondering if the overarching factor of the FedEx and the playoffs and those points and the way it goes down would change anything in any of your view for this specific tournament this weekend.
3: Yeah, it, it, this is interesting. So right now guys, this is a 3 week showdown, right? The winner, the total purse is 60 million. The winner gets 15 million. I could tell you next to winning majors, what do golf guys like? They like partying. They like giving their wives 15 tools. million they like dollars. They, <laughs> like, they like they like caviar, <laughs> they like making love on the yacht. They like a good life. Let's sure. let live the good life like the Get Along Gang, Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler and their crew, girls in bikinis, hey, let's yacht. But I will say this, you for these guys, one top 125 for next week, you have to be in the top 70. So, this is the way the FedEx Cup works. Three weeks. Top 125 in money play this week. They whittle it down to 70. Final week, <clears throat> top 30 tour championship. Winner gets 15 mil. Purse is 60 million. And also in the final event, whoever leads the FedEx Cup starts with a lead. So let's just say, for example, Justin Thomas, he'll start at minus six, then he'll go minus four. Like, do you understand? It's a it's a mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's right? I'm, it. I'm not gonna get in the whole system how they rank everybody no, because we'll sense. be here for two days. But that's basically the way it works, Dane. So yes, I will say this. Guys who are outside the top one hundred right now, they understand they need a good week this week. So they will take more chances. They will, you know, go for par fives and maybe get into danger and stuff like that. Right. It's like basically, it's all or nothing. The guys inside, like take a look at Justin Thomas, D. Shambo, all these guys. They're just gonna play their game, right? They're they've basically they've locked up the top 30 at East Lake, where the where the Tour Championship is. So basically, you have these mid tier guys between like you know 35. And, and 70. These guys want to do some things. The guys on the outside looking in, the, the 100s to 125s, these guys are going to have to play more aggressive golf. Whereas I think the top 15 and 20 guys, they're gonna like, hey, I'm home and cool. I got enough Fed F- FedEx Cup points. Let's just make more money, throw it on the pile, and hopefully, you know, play well and get the 15 million. Because these guys, man, imagine that you win the FedEx Cup, you get 15 million. These guys, <laughs> the top guys are already loaded. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money in this stuff, and uh, guys love money. So, this is an interesting week. TPC Boston, it's also a course that if you look at the past history, I wouldn't say it's a bomber's course, but it's very important, guys. Five par fours are over 460 yards. So if you're a guy who's a small ball hitter, a medium ball hitter, that's tough going in there with that kind of distance. That's very So I, I do look at guys who are a little bit better on um, fairways hit and, and distance. That's what you need off the tee. Obviously, every week putting is a big factor. And I'll tell you this guys, sorry about last week. Uh, if I gave you Jim Herman, the Hermanator, yeah, really. uh, I literally, you guys should be <laughs> like Jim Herman looks like the club pro. That Hey Jim, how you doing? Uh, you want to go out and play? a <laughs> cash game? I'm looking at this guy going They almost, sw- he was so nervous. He almost swallowed the cap on the water when he was sitting there waiting for Billy Horschel <laughs> to finish up on 18. Spilled it all over himself. It's crazy. Like he's just thinking, wow, man, I just won like over a million bucks here. My life's great. But I will say this, Dane, to your earlier point, Guys outside the top 100, they are going to take risks. So there's going to be blow-up rounds. Some guys are really going to go for it. And there's going to be a lot of triples and quads on on the card. I don't think right. it's going to happen with the big guys, but it will happen with the guys fighting to get in next week for the top 70 to, to play.
2: So, uh, Camden, let me uh, ask you about the guy I always ask you about here, in Brooks Koepka. Oh, Brooks Capcom Because you told me.
3: Yeah, of course. Because here's the thing. I love you. Like, you love the Yankees and your dad <laughs> loves the Flyers. I You're going to yeah. give me a Brooks Capcom update this week. Okay, buddy. Fire That's away. Right. Fire away,
2: Koepka. Well, here's yep. the thing. The, re- the thing I've asked you, right, week in, week out, I'm like, man, like every week I get to ask you about Brooks. The guy never takes off. And you've explained. But he needs to yep. perform well because he he's so fire. far behind when it comes to the FedEx. So I look at him for the Northern Trust. He's, you know, further down the board, I would say, than he usually is at 33 to 1. He needs a big week, but are you too worried that that then means he's going to push and take too many chances and it could be bad? Or a determined Brooks Kepka is usually a golfer people like to back. So what do you think about him here at this 33 to 1 price?
3: I really like the price. I hate his form. I'm also Night. not going to bet Kevin when, when we have other guys there. I'm not willing from what I've seen with him. I'm not willing to bet, bet him even at that price. That's the thing. Sometimes we have to look at the price and go, yeah, there's a reason for that. Brooks Kepka, I've never seen him play this, this poorly. There is something wrong with Brooks Kepka right now. I don't know what it, uh, the, the injuries lingering. He's spraying the ball off the tee like I've never seen. Like he could still strike it and he can get out of danger, but his accuracy has been awful, and that's the one thing. He could hit fairways blindfolded most of the time, so it is a big concern. Also on the greens, the guy used to be money from like 15 feet. He's missing putts. There's too many other guys. I'm not. I'm not going to say I'm going to jump all over him and fade him because this guy has had the tendency to come back when people count him out. But he will not be bet by me. And if I see a matchup bet that I like with a guy, I will attack Brooks Kepka. But, Kev, you're right. You're usually getting this guy at 18-20. You're getting him at 33. There's a reason for it, too. His form blows. Like, he he does not look like the same golfer right now. It's shocking.
1: Hey, Cam. You know, you talk about someone who's in bad form and, and the number may be the only incentive there to bet him. I hate bad numbers, especially big minus numbers. Mm-hmm. but is there any more sure thing right now than calling Marikawa? You know, so like the idea of even him. something like Marikawa, like honestly, I'm not going to do this, okay, Cam? I understand, but minus 600 for Marikawa to make the cut. He's won more majors than missed cuts. He's won more tournaments than missed cuts, right? Like he he's not one of these guys that's going to completely blow up. I know it's crazy. I know it's too much juice, but talk to me about this role that Marikawa's on in his rookie year.
3: Here's the thing. Colin Morikawa, when he came out, he's the guy that no one talked about. Everyone talked about Matthew Wolf, and they talked about right. all the good other younger players. Victor Hovland. It was all the Oklahoma State guys, right? Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf. Colin Morikawa, in my opinion, is better than both of them. But I will say this, Dane be careful this week. Even a young guy mm. off the win, feeling good about himself. Right, right, right. That is. That is a a high wire dance act that I do. You know what I mean? I feel like you're going over Niagara Falls. You've you've done it. You've done it every time. But the wind's picking up. I don't know. I don't know how he's going to respond. And the thing is, in this course, this is also a thing he's never done before. Remember, guys, a rookie. He hasn't played in the FedEx Cup yet. I don't think he's going to be intimidated. The guy won a major. But I'm saying at that price, I don't even have Colin Morikawa. In uh, my six-pack this week, I love him as a player, one of my favorites. And you guys know, since we've been doing the golf, I bet him almost every week, even before the major, and take him live a lot of the time. But I would say be cautiously optimistic this week with him. Um, I just think it's a little bit dangerous. Coming off the win, we'll see. You know what I mean? I I just don't see him there. I can see him playing okay, but I don't think he's going to be on the final page of the leaderboard on Sunday.
2: So, Cam, every single week that we do this, I ask you about Koepka as if he's the biggest star in the world. But we actually do have (laughs) the biggest star in the world here, uh, a couple notches below him. Tiger's at 35-1, to and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what you think about Big Cat heading into this weekend.
3: Here's the thing about Tiger Woods. To me, everything boils down to the Masters. He has everything under control, right? Like, he'll play well in the FedEx Cup, but I'm not betting him. Will he do well? Okay. Will his back hold up? Maybe. It's just there are so many. This is the best of the best, right? And Tiger Woods can play Augusta blindfolded. The FedEx Cup, does he care about it? Yes. But on his priority list, majors are more important. A lot of these other guys, they know, hey, man, you know, I can't. I i don't have the game for the Masters. Tiger has a goal. Beat Jack Nicholas, more records, majors. He's already got all the money in the world. He's got his endorsements back. This is the thing. He'll play well. I think if you're going to look uh-huh. at him, maybe in the tour championship in the top 30, this is this is something that Tiger Woods is, uh, has to do. He does have to play well, though. Because remember, guys, he takes a lot of time off, too. But right. even, the, even the course history there, there's other guys that I like a hell of a lot more than him that have consistent top tens here at TPC Boston. So, Kevin, I'm going to tell you something. If you see, like, if I had a, I'm going to throw this out there, a Bryson DeChambeau-Tiger Woods matchup bet, I would smash mm. DeChambeau. That's that's my opinion. I know I was wrong okay. before. Mm-hmm. I gave you guys a, that damn Brooks Kepka Sunday collapse job, Kev. I felt Trust bad. Of, me, I, I know. felt bad about that. I felt Trust horrible me, I about know. it. And I didn't give you guys and I didn't <laughs> give you guys uh, 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 Mr. Herman last week, the Hermanator. Like if I, my buddy bet Jim Herman live on Sunday. I told him, I go, you should like get an award for that. Like how the hell do you bet Jim? Herman live
1: on <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But that's okay, Cam. We go back to the well with you. It is all good. You talk about Tiger Woods. He's got it all. He's got the money. He's got the championship. He's even yep. won a tournament as a caddy for his child over the weekend. So we give oh, props for that. Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I'm saying, right? So, okay. We all know though, Cam, you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. And it is five o'clock somewhere <laughs> right now. Let's crack open the Sid Pack wow. for this first event of the FedEx playoffs. Who you got this week?
3: Great motto, Dane. Too bad I got shows and updates in the afternoon. It sounds like a great plan today to watch basketball and hockey, but we're going to start things off with uh, Jason Day. This is a guy that's really trending in the right direction, and I look at the price, twenty-three to one. I think that's fantastic, guys. My favorite pick this week. You, have, if you said you have one guy to bet on, it's Patrick Reed at twenty-eight to one. He is my favorite pick on the board. I think you guys should play him in top 20s. He's also won here before. He is trending. His game is perfect. 28 to 1. Watch out for Patrick Reed. I think he's got a great chance to win. Then we're going to go with Adam Scott, uh, another guy that's had success on this track. Great track record. Adam Scott here, guy, guy has a win here. Six top 10s at this course. Are you kidding me? They say horses for courses. Give me Adam Scott at 40. Now we're going to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, actually, I was surprised. Somebody on FanDuel smashed this because when I looked before, he was 60. Oh, <laughs> It's not the Coyote. It's the Wolf. Matthew Wolf. <laughs> 41 to 1. I don't know who's hitting this in Jersey, but this guy's got a lot of money to knock that odd down to 41. I like it. Mm-hmm. Him. Uh, top 10 last week. That's good enough for us. Mm. We had him in the portfolio. Top 10 and 20. 50, 50 to 1. And Tyrell Hatton, the fiery Brit at 50 to 1 as well. I'm not taking any like 100 to 1s, but I have a lot of guys in the mid-range this week. Because the thing is. The best of the world are playing. It's going to be really hard to beat the top guys. And if you guys want to play chalk, I would bet two two guys. If if you gave me Dane, you and uh, Kev drank four of my beers and I only got two left, I'm not (laughs) mad at you. I would take Bryson DeChambeau at 12-1 to and uh, Patrick Reed at 28. Those are my two favorite picks. I'm going to wait to bet DeChambeau live because I'll tell you something, say he's four or five shots back, you're going to get a better number than 12-1, to right? That's a little bit too chalky for me. We will deal with that on the weekend live.
2: Uh, I, I like it, Cam. I do want to uh, quickly before we let you uh, go. I gotta ask about yep. the, the three-ball matchups, and there's just one that I've identified because we mentioned very well, okay, rarely Kev. they actually throw every week. Cam, uh, I love you. Price. Three
3: balls, and that's touchdown. right. That's that's <laughs>
2: that's it. And we'll do it again tonight on In Game Live. Quickly, we got 20 seconds though. Jason Day at minus 120 against Adam Hadwin and Brendan Steele. Is that
1: a good price? Yes.
3: Yes. Yes. Awesome. Yes. I love that. And I would lay the you. Thanks a (laughs) lot,
1: Kev, for spending a couple of minutes with us. You like Patrick Reed. If you want to be more conservative, he's plus 125 to finish in the top 20 this week. Thanks for giving us all the nuggets. We tie a nice, neat little bow with this episode of The Early Line after this Welcome back in, everybody, right here onto the early line where we give you the edge, all while putting the fun and functional sports content. Keep it locked all day long. The morning after is up next, and so we bring in our guy Jared Smith here for a couple of minutes. And Jared, I was watching the morning after yesterday. I know you guys were talking about the Fernando Tatis, the Grand Slam, the 3-0. We didn't get a chance to talk much about it, or baseball for that matter, today. I want to ask you a question, not about the unwritten rules of baseball. OK, let me make that clear. If the kid gets a pitch that he thinks he can hit yard, go ahead. I got that. I have a different issue with it, and it's a small issue. But it came out that he did, in fact, get the take sign from his manager. Right. And, and then he, you know, didn't follow the sign. So I, I'm not talking about like, oh, should you swing 3-0 and all that? To me, it's also the idea of like, hey, if the guy calls the play, you go with the play. Like if someone doesn't do the hit and run or doesn't do the steal when they're supposed to, not the idea of oh the unwritten rules of baseball and the bat flip and all that stuff. But what about the fact that he just he didn't listen to the manager? Yeah, that 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 bothers me a lot more than him swinging three zero. I I agree. I mean, I think if your manager says don't do something, gave him the take sign. You know, you shouldn't do it. Um, I I don't know if and and I haven't watched enough Padres games to know this, but I, I don't know what kind of you know, aggression, uh, I think it's Andy Green, uh, has as the Padres' manager, uh, if that's a normal thing. If usually, cause right. sometimes guys, and you know this, Dave, sometimes guys just always have the green light, regardless. Right, you can fault uh, the strategy, the right? Like yeah, reasonable yeah. so people I don't disagree agree on what the Padres' if the strategy light, usually but- is there. I don't know if that's abnormal, whereas Tatis usually has the green light, but he was given the take sign here, and he just didn't listen. Or he's, he always has the green light, and there was just a mix-up. I, I don't know, but I, I agree. If the manager gives him the, the take sign, he should have t-
0: taken a pick.
2: No, he shouldn't have. If he was wrong. They should fire the manager. That's preposterous. Dude, <laughs> last night
1: should be celebrated. He
0: to walk up song insane. last night.
1: He should. After the game, he should have been like, hey, I gave him the take sign. But, hey, it's Fernando Tatis Jr. Oh, yeah. and- he should be like, I'm the manager yeah. now. This guy's gone. I am the captain now. <laughs> All that much more going on in the morning after. They'll talk about it more after that